I mean, I was told by more than one doctor, I mean, I have it in writing, that I would never recover and that I should apply for lots of disability, AIDS and things. I've been well and strong and healthy for years. These are the steps that really were the key to pretty much everything I did that led me to my recovery. That's Thor A. Rain, health activist, pain and fatigue specialist, member of the LGBTQ plus community and founder of the First Aid for Feelings social enterprise. Thor's ability to use language to communicate and heal comes across very strongly in this episode of Your Truth Shared. There is an inherent care here that I know is translated in everything they do in the social enterprise they've created. I invite you to listen. You will become an advocate for your own health if you do. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. One of the things that I found over the years of working with entrepreneurs is, and there's this common theme that something happens in our lives or we understand a challenge or we see a challenge and the impetus is to solve that challenge. And often when that happens, a business is born and This, I think, is true for my next wonderful guest. My next wonderful guest is Thor A. Rain, and they are a health activist, social entrepreneur, pain and fatigue specialist for over a decade. And I really want you to meet Thor because that experience of pain and fatigue specialist is an experience that they've had and they found an answer to it. And it's a journey that has uh, been dealing with CFS, which is chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, CFS, fibromyalgia, complex PTSD, and how they have healed that in themselves. And that's where I'd like to start the journey. Welcome, Thor. What a pleasure to talk to you again. We have only just met... And I'm already moved by things like your language. There's this gentleness and care in every word that you speak that really tells me more about what you do. Welcome. Oh, Fanola, thank you so much. And I am I am tickled and delighted to be here. Um, and it's really wonderful to hear you notice my attention to language. Yeah. Uh, I, I love wordsmithery. You know, I think that wordsmiths are, you know, there's something very powerful about how we use words and language. And it's something that is part of my training. So I'm a neuro-linguistic program, but my training, I've done neuro-linguistic programming, which is all Me about too. language, <laughs> but also being being a clinician. Yeah, exactly. So it's all about yeah. words, but also being a clinician. But I think just my earliest memories were hanging out in the library. I have always understood the world through words. And so the words I use play a powerful part in my experience of the mm. world. And that was one of the things I discovered when, you know, I became ill overnight. 
Uh, and suddenly my world changed dramatically. Mm. I was bedbound for some months and then housebound. It took, took me nearly seven years to fully recover. So you get a lot of time to hang out with yourself. Yeah. But- <laughs> and there's no really, in, in, with a lot of pain and fatigue, you can't really go anywhere. You just have to sit, sit with the experience. And so that kind of really paying attention to what words am I using here? How am I perceiving my experience? How does that enhance or amplify or detract from the experience I'm having? So yeah, uh, words are really important to me. And also they're fun, they're playful. Did you have that sense of, because when something like that hits and as you've described, it was overnight, which, you know, I can't get my head around at all. And you might explain it to us in a second, but to have that presence of mind to be able to observe and accept what's happening to like, w- explain to us what happened, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. So, um, so I was, um, I've been working in the city. I'd come over to England in 1999. Mm-hmm. I talk about, I laugh about having arrived last century yeah. <laughs> because I'm originally from Iceland. So I spent uh, uh, a couple of years in the city working for a software and hardware company, then decided to go back to university within six So, you know, I was, I, I believed that I was strong and healthy, lots of energy, very buoyant. Um, I've been doing, uh, one of the reasons I left the city is because it was absolutely ridiculous. It was like 80 hour work weeks. And this was back in the time when we still had liquid lunches. I think they have stopped now. Yes. But, or they're much <laughs> reduced. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it was a very unhealthy environment. Somewhere I'd realized that this wasn't a really good idea. Mm. So I'd sort of um, folded that aspect of my career and gone back to university. Mm. But still, you know, had energy. You know, I rarely had headaches. You know, it was just I didn't have any signs of my health being vulnerable. And then... Um, on the 10th of March, you know, I remember the date specifically because within 24 hours, I, I had a surge of symptoms, uh, mostly neurological, so a lot of nerve pain, but also uh, muscle pain, skeletal pain, absolutely thumping headache and episodes of uh, seizures. So uh, so I literally went from, yeah, I think when I cycled home and then overnight became severely ill. And so that's very common with those kind of conditions is that they can be triggered by an infection. So I had two neuro, uh, viral infections that then went into my central nervous system. So the viral infections triggered what turned out then to be a multi-systemic breakdown, which kind of means when there's more than one system in the body that's, you know, collapsing. So it was across those, you know, the central nervous system, the muscle, skeletal system, you know, all these different systems in the body just went... And that's scary because it makes me, my automatic response is, could that happen to anybody? Right. So, um, so yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. So um, obviously there are things like predisposing factors. Mm. So I had predisposing genetic factors. I had predisposing factors in terms of lifestyle, uh, you know, having worked crazy hours. And also I realized it took me a while to realize this. I didn't realize this all within like day one or two, mm. but I was practically illiterate when it came to health literacy. Mm. I just didn't know. Mm. I mean, I didn't know about nutrition. I didn't know about that sleep was important. I was like, you know, what was it? Play hard, work hard, whatever, you know, sleep, sleep is for the dead. You know, all of those kind of things were my kind of mantras. And I just had no idea how health works and just how important it is. You know, I really took my health for granted. 
Do you think that that's common, that we're health illiterate? I really do. And, I, mm. you know, and that's one of the primary reasons why I set up a social enterprise rather than just tootling away in my own corner, you know, and why I grab every opportunity I can to get on my soapbox and talk about this stuff. Because I think, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent person. There's nothing wrong with the, you know, my top scope, you know, in terms of learning stuff and understanding stuff. But this was entirely in my blind spot. And I see this so often in clinical practice. You know, now that I've trained up, I've been working with people for quite some time. You know, really clever people <laughs> yeah. are dealing with stuff. And a lot of what I do is knowledge transfer. There is obviously, there's the sort of therapeutic aspect, there's working through stuff. You know, there's also other aspects, but a big chunk of what I do is literally just transferring knowledge. And I love that you... You so then you set up this social enterprise, and I love the name because you know I'm a brand lover and I real believer in identity and how that impacts how we are in the world and who we are in the world. And you created so you have two uh, domains. I'd love them both. <laughs> One is <laughs> is it helpful.com? Like so powerful. It's so powerful, and that comes from your word smithery. And the other one, which is what you do and and this mission of yours, which is firstaidforfeelings.com. <laughs> I love it. So I think for me, is it helpful? It's been, again, this is all because I needed it. So I remember, you know, trying to figure out how to help myself. There was a lot of, there was a lot of do's and don'ts. But, you know, positive psychology was like, if you just think about it, you'll get better. <laughs> or, you know, just trust the medical model. Don't do anything complimentary, you know. And I've found myself caught up in the right and wrong, good and bad kind yeah. of mentality. And then I realized it's just not helpful. So when I got simplified it really down to the most basic question I could imagine in terms of how I'm feeling doing X, Y, and Z, is it helpful? And I could then go yes or no. I didn't mm. have to think about the kind of rational, or the bigger picture or read the research. Just does my body tell me? <laughs> this is helpful or not? Or does my mind and my heart, my emotions, do they tell me this belief, this behavior, this supplement, this medication, is it helpful? So take a moment, take a moment here, because this is really powerful to understand that we are not just this thinking mind that's looking for all the data. It's that we have all of these systems. Well, if I'm reading this correctly, so correct me if I'm wrong, that we have all of these systems that can actually talk to each other and we just can ask them, you know, and sit with it and the answer comes because our body knows, our soul knows, our heart knows, our mind knows, is it helpful? So we don't have to have this constant thing of I either go to the doctor or I go to complementary therapy or I do this or I do that. It's actually a synergy. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned when we spoke that you didn't you didn't fall in these neat boxes that we like to make around mental health, physical health, you know, spiritual health or any of these things. And and talk to us about that, because that was a journey in itself to get to where you are. Absolutely. So one of the uh, so the sort of biggest contr- or two contributing factors to me falling ill, that kind of vulnerability that when I got that viral inf- or those two viral infections and, and because also they went further into my system, if you like, than normally they would, um, 
were predisposing factors and I had complex PTSD. So uh, there was a, a number or a cluster of traumas in my history. And we know from research that people who have had traumas, particularly in childhood, they are more vulnerable to health issues. It's something called ACEs or an ACE, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Wow. And the more ACEs you have, the more vulnerable you are to health issues even as, as early as teen, but also in adulthood. So I had a few ACEs that made me vulnerable on top of the genetic predisposition that I had. But also one of the kind of not obviously traumatic aspects, but clearly it was, is the fact that I'm transgender and non-binary. Okay, tell us more about that. Because in our conversation, I shared with you that you are the first transgender person I met. So yeah. I really wanted to, and, and this is really interesting from an identity perspective as well. Yeah. And I had you, um, I asked you to explain how I speak to you, to explain what it means so that I could understand if you could take a moment to share that, because I really believe that when we share more about all of these things that are emerging in the ether for us to understand more, the better it is. Is that okay? Absolutely. So I'll I'll come in from two different perspectives. One is in terms of not being able to be either mental health or physical health practitioner, not yeah. being able to bring myself to full recovery by only focusing on our mental health or physical health or only doing yeah. this or that. I've, what I've learned over the years is that it's absolutely impossible for me to be either or in anything. Okay. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> even in politics or even in my relationships and, you know, just... Uh, you know, in my, my, my whole makeup is very much about sort of both and. So I am both working in physical and mental health. And that then in how I see that and how I see the interplay between the way I've created the social enterprise and the way my identity shows up is my, that my non-binary identity is that I'm both male and female. Yeah. It is impossible for me to consider the world as a woman only or as a man only. Tell me more about that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I just, I, and I remember one of my earliest memories is um, as a child. So in Iceland, uh, uh, or at least in, in, you know, in my time, uh, you weren't allowed to travel on your own uh, to the uh, local or the, to the central library in Reykjavik. You had to be 10 years or older to be able to come on your own, but I could go to my local library. So, you know, I'm big fan of words and reading. So I had kind of pretty much sussed out all the books in my local library by the time I was 10. So actually mm. being able to take the bus to go to the central library in Reykjavik was uh, just a journey of adventure for me. One of my earliest memories was going into the section about, you know, people and health and trying to figure out what's the difference between men and women. Yeah. I genuinely did not comprehend that there was a difference. I didn't understand there was a difference between girls and boys. And so I was like, well, I don't understand it. So I have to learn about it because I'm so beautifully intellectual in my approach to the world. I was and like, did I'll you just find read up an on an it. Yeah. So, did you find of course, an I just, exactly. I found some books and I started taking notes. So men are like this, women are like that, because I just couldn't comprehend it. And yeah. what I've learned over the years that just like for people who are binary, people who are men or women only, they find it really hard to understand people who are non-binary. I find it really hard to understand people who are only one or the other. I just don't get it. It's really interesting because my my natural reaction to how you describe this is, 
wow, that's very non-limiting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's because in my work, it's always about removing limits. So that's an interesting take on it. Like I find myself using the word and with clients a lot going, yeah. you know, just because you are like this at one point doesn't mean you have to leave it behind. We always bring all of ourselves to the table every time. So I, I've now found a box. It's an awful thing to say. This is awful what I'm going to say to you. But I've now found a box that that now makes sense for me. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And because I, re I remember to this day, I remember where I was sitting. So my mental health really plummeted uh, at one point during the time I was ill. And I realized that one part of it was that I felt that I was neither nor. I was neither a man nor a woman. And that sense of being neither nor kind of meant that I was nothing. And that was so difficult for me. And I remember where I was sitting, I was sitting at my bureau, the sun was streaming in and I had one of those hallelujah angel choir moments. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I realized I'm not neither nor, I'm both and. That's powerful. And it just, it was one of those tectonic yeah. plates shifting in my sense of self where everything just, you know, yeah, the, the angels came out, <laughs> the lights came on. And it was like, of course, that makes so much, so much sense. And, and the interesting thing is, is that it shows up as well in my sexuality. So I've always been attracted to all genders. So, mm. and I got a lot of flack for that in Iceland, you know, last century, um, because yeah. <laughs> the lesbians and the gays were like, well, you have to be brave enough to make a commitment to the cause. And- uh, Pick one. Exactly. <laughs> And people saw it as lack of courage that I wouldn't stand up wow. and show solidarity. And I was like, if I do that, I'm denying so much of who I am. Whereas now it's much more, you know, go to Iceland for any pride, you know, and actually I was excluded from pride. I was told not to come because I clearly wasn't that, you know, a valid member of the group. It's, uh, it's uh, mind blowing to yeah. hear that. And I mean, now go to Iceland, go to Pride. It's so inclusive. It's a totally different reality. Yeah. But that's what it was like at the time. So what it feels like to me then is it took more courage to be all of you than the courage that they asked you to have to pick one. Well, I think it's not understanding. This is what also what I mean when we don't know what we don't know. We can be so judgmental. Mm. Yeah. And we can be so exclusive. Yeah. I really don't think this was done out of malice. No, of course not. I think but it was I'm, a lot of lack of awareness. I mean, I created a lot of suffering and I felt very alienated uh, because yeah. it was quite brutal at times. But I really do genuinely think it was lack of knowledge and awareness, which is why I think it's so important to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. So bring us to the social enterprise and how that has impacted or influences the business. So in addition to the is it helpful question, uh, one another sort of uh, big insight I had was that I would frequently forget because I was in a lot of pain. And of course, there was a lot of anxiety and anger and that, that came with the, the sort of intense pain. I would forget what was helpful. I would forget interventions or, or behaviors that would help or even just forget to take medication like painkillers. So um, and I remember thinking, you know, how come if I cut my finger, I know where to go. I know what to do. And, <laughs> You know, and I know the difference, you know, I don't take a paracetamol if I've got my finger in the same way I don't put a plaster on a headache. You know, this, yeah. we all think this is really obvious. You know, why don't I have something like this for my feelings? And so, uh, so I started putting together a first aid kit for feelings to draw together tips, tools and things that would help me 
when I was feeling stressed or angry, in pain or, or anxious. Mm-hmm. I also developed this idea of the ABC. So in medical first aid, the ABC stands for airways, breathing and circulation. So I sort of tilted that for feelings to be awareness, breath and body and choice. Oh, I love it. And so obviously those of you who are like you are, you know, NLP trained and people who are, have got that training will know this is a classic, you know, pattern break. This is a, this is a, you know, this is a pattern interrupt and a pattern break and I'm following those steps. I'm just applying the monomic from first aid to it to make it first aid for feelings. So give us an example of how to use this in practice. So um, let's say I, I, I realize I'm feeling stressed. So that's the A. I become aware that I'm feeling stressed. So I often invite people to, to ask themselves in this moment, what are you thinking, feeling and doing? Because mm. as soon as you can tell, ah, I'm sitting here, I'm having this lovely conversation with Nola, I'm feeling enthusiastic, I'm feeling invigorated, I can feel my feet on the ground. Yeah. And what I'm doing is I'm talking. But if you take the other side, take another situation, I realize that I'm feeling agitated. My thinking is fast. I'm feeling stressed. My heart's, you know, palpating or I'm hyperventilating a bit. So I've I've developed an awareness of how I'm feeling. I'm thinking this or that, or I'm feeling angry or something. So that's the awareness, actually Mm. realizing what is going on. That's always the most important step because it makes you stop immediately. Exactly. Yeah. And be, be, without awareness, you can't do anything. It's like if you're driving in the wrong direction, you need the awareness to realize that you took the wrong junction before you can do anything. Yeah. You know, I always think of the the, guy, the billiard guy or the snooker guy last year who actually had drove. He missed his tournament because he drove to the wrong town. <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's a classic. Some, if, you, if you don't have the awareness that you're heading in the wrong direction, there is zilt you can do about it. So the mm. awareness is key. Yeah. Then the breath and body is to bring your awareness to your breath because the breath is always in real time. You can't catch up on breath from last week. <laughs> you can't stash away breath for next week. It's breath is always now. So breathing in, and I always advocate the three, five, seven. So you breathe into the count of five, you breathe out to the count of seven, and you do that three times. Okay. And the reason why that's helpful is because you are directly affecting the biochemistry in your body your intake of oxygen is less than your exhalation of carbon dioxide. And that means you tilt just a little bit out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the stress state, and into the more maintenance state, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. You may be more familiar with fight and flight, which is the stress, or rest and digest, or rest and repair, which is the maintenance states. But as soon as you do that, you are giving more resources back to your brain so you're able to think a bit clearer. And then the second part of the B is the body. So shuffle your shoulders, sitting bones, wriggling your toes, just getting that you know sense of body back in because when we're stressed or agitated, we're all up in the head. Yeah, yeah. So getting a sense of the rest of our body means, again, we're coming more to the present moment. And when we have more access to our head, actually our brain and the present moment in our body, we can then move on to the C, which is choice. And then we ask, you know, being stressed and agitated and anxious, whatever, is it helpful? Mm. And, you know, I'm always, let's be curious. Sometimes it might be helpful. So I'm like, okay, keep doing that. If it's not helpful, then it's like, okay, what might be more helpful instead? What might be more helpful instead? Yes. Great question. 
And so this is the question that, oh, this is this, these are the steps that really were the key to pretty much everything that did that led me to my recovery. And the thing that I want to share with people is that you're cured now. You are over yeah, this Yeah, I've now. been well and strong and healthy for years. Absolutely. I mean, I was told by more than one doctor, I mean, I have it in writing that I would never recover. Yeah. And that, you know, and that I should apply for lots of disability aids and things and have the bathroom refitted because I, I couldn't have baths on my own. I couldn't, I had to have support for personal care. Yeah. So, and again, I genuinely believe that the doctors who were so adamant that I would never recover were doing, were talking from a place of kindness. Yeah. It's not like they were, this, this is not from malice. This is not because they wanted me to stay ill. This is because of lack of knowledge and information. And has the medical profession changed any, do you think, that allows their awareness to expand that there are other ways of dealing with this? It's changed a lot in the last sort of 20 years, uh, a lot. Um, and uh, only a few years ago, two or three years ago, I think, there was actually a public apology in Parliament to uh, people suffering with MECFS in particular for the mistreatment and the lack of medical care that they had received, you know, for decades. So there's much more awareness of it. There, You still find, you know, medics who are on the, you know, this is all in your mind or you just, you know, just mm. get a grip and do stuff, you know. So there is still some of that model remnant uh, out there. But there, there, there is a shift. And I think with uh, uh, programs like Doctor in the House and, and Dr. Chatterjee, you know, the functional medicine in a movement has really brought a lot of momentum and spotlight to having a more inclusive approach to health. So I think the shift has happened, the tipping point has happened. It just hasn't rippled out fully yet. So the world is very different, at least here in the UK and the US where I tend to work mostly. Um, it has shifted, but we're not fully there yet. I'm just going to take a very short break here to tell you about an opportunity where you can apply the insights from many of these conversations to your business. Your marketing is your choice. In fact, all the trends scream that the more authentic you are, the greater the resonance with your target customers and the greater the success your business can have. Position with Purpose is my free 90 minute webinar where you will learn that it's possible to do your marketing in a way that feels like you and delivers results. She just knows what step you should take next. One of these rare finds is really genuine people. Finola will help you to find your authentic voice. Finola has some wonderful methodologies. Did I say Finola really cares? She genuinely does. You manage to combine a proximity and helping hand with an online course or online program. You have an incredible generosity of spirit. Finola helps you to extract ideas and dreams of how to make your business even bigger. It is so much more than marketing. If you'd like to find out more about Position With Purpose, click on the link in the show notes so you can find out how to market so it feels like you and pull your customers to you. Now, let's get back to the conversation. I mean, I love that this that the world is changing in this way because it seems even in this industry, we are we are more empowered over our own lives because like historically in Ireland anyway, the doctor was always put on the pedestal. You were special because you were on the pedestal. You were a doctor. Whereas now our own voices are emerging. 
to not to take control, but to be responsible, I suppose, for our own health that we get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely spot on. And this is why, this is so why I set up the clinic, because the mission is to improve health and well-being through increased health and emotional literacy. So that's the kind of, that's, that's, that's all the long mm. words. Basically what that means is that by knowing how to do our own self-care, we know how to do our own advocacy. We know how to interpret our symptoms. We know how to use medication. I mean, one person I remember working with this, this man in his late 30s, nothing right. He was a, PA, you know, he was a, doctor, a doctorate doing postdoc at Cambridge University. So clever, clever dude. Mm. And he was struggling with stomach symptoms. And I asked him what he'd been doing about it. And he said he'd take, taken um, two paracetamols three times a day. And I was like, okay, for how long? And he'd been doing that for three years. And then, of course, I went to my question and said, so is it helpful? It's like, you know, and he sat there and his face just felt because it was like, no. Love that. And, you know, because he was just like, well, I've got, you know, I've got pain. I'll just take paracetamol, you know. So actually having the health literacy to know that that's not a good idea. And he then Mm. had the consequences of that long-term use of, of paracetamol which is the mildest of the painkillers, by the way, in terms of side effects. So, I mean, if he'd been taking ibuprofen or, or codeine or something, it would have been much worse. But he now had accumulative repair work to do because he hadn't, didn't have the health literacy to understand his symptoms, seek the appropriate help. And all the advocacy to be able to actually know that I deserve to be helped here and then know where to get that help. Wow, because it's, we are too silent and don't ask enough questions. And also, especially medically, I feel. And also, when you go to a GP here, you're often on this kind of time slot. You've got to get it all in that very extremely short time slot. And it's and if you if you don't create enough time to speak about it, I mean, you you leave feeling uh, disoriented. Did they hear everything? Did they write everything down? Um, am I being helped or am I on a conveyor belt that's very, very fast? Absolutely. Uh, what's your advice in that space? You know, is it that you simply ask, I want a double appointment or because I think that's really important because when we speak about advocacy, we do need to speak to our health professionals to because yeah. they've studied this. They understand this and we don't. So if we empower ourselves with language to address our own health, we have to have someone on the other side to hear us. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's a few tips there. I would say if you go on the firstbaitforfeelings.com website and type advocacy into the search, you will see the blogs that I've written on this because I do I feel very it. strongly about this. Uh, the, the, the sort of quick tips are fourfold. First of all, reminding yourself that you deserve good medical care. Love it. Yeah. Even though somebody has it worse than you. Yeah. But even if you're not kind of like, you know, absolutely, you know, just ready for the ambulance, you deserve to be treated and cared for. Yeah. Uh, reach for allies. If you feel like you haven't got the confidence or the understanding you know, speak to people you trust, ask them for help, either to come with you to the appointment or just help you prepare for the appointment. Yeah. 
Thirdly, uh, bring notes. We forget. You know, and chances are you'll write notes that have like five points in them and you'll only remember three, but that's more than remembering one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, if, you know, if, if you need, because often we struggle to take in everything we've been told. So having somebody with you in the appointment can help just taking notes. Mm. And if you haven't got somebody to come with you, many doctors are okay for you to record this, the appointment. So on your phone, if you just record voice notes, then you can listen back to it afterwards. Love it. And then the fourth one is to make your own notes when you come out and know that you can, you can email your GP or you can, you know, there are ways that you can put information forward or at least track what's been said. So you keep notes of your own experience. So you can track, okay, I went to the doctor on this date. We talked about this and nothing happened for blah, blah, blah months or, you know, or whatever. So you treat it as you would keep, you know, like, I don't know, you keep a lock or when you last had the fire, you know, mm. uh, the chimney, you know, cleaned or, you know, when the car needs its MOT, you keep track of these. Well, I think most people keep track of these things, you know, keep track of your own health experiences as is helpful to you. So that would be my four tips. But yeah, there's lots more on the on the website in terms of advocacy. Fantastic. I'm so glad I asked you that. It's really valuable. Tell me. If we can return to the uh, entrepreneurial journey, yeah. can you share with me why you chose a social enterprise? Well, I think it's, again, it's another wonderful uh, expression of me uh, being both and. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm neither, a t- or the clinic uh, is neither a charity or a for-profit business. <laughs> so social enterprise is a way of doing both. Yeah. So we are revenue generating, we do turn a profit, but that profit is then reinvested um, mm. and we are, we're not relying on funding and it's a bit because that's a sort of kind of different model and has a different kind of setup to it. So that kind of sense of having agency, uh, being able to work across those different aspects to have a social mission, but also to be value driven in terms of monetary value, that the things are, you know, things cost money, things uh, benefit from having money invested in them. And I, interestingly, I find um, that actually sometimes for those who are able to, being able to contribute to your own health costs can often strengthen the sense of agency that people have. Yeah, I think it's it's the thing I really like about social enterprise is that it's self-empowering. It's not going, and, and forgive me, any charities listening, please forgive yeah. me, but it's I think it's more empowering to find this source of revenue that's not a begging bowl. Yeah, I know that's really critical, but it's to show the difference. I mean, because I think it, I think we embrace it even more strongly to do this. I think it's much more empowering and far reaching in some ways to, uh, uh, this is my feeling anyway. I really agree with that because I've, and obviously one that's took my, I've chosen that model, but I think also it is a really wide, it's got a wide remit. It can work quite far into profit businesses and quite far into charities. Mm. I do feel though, having been, you know, in the social enterprise business since 2015, uh, that there are, there are certain ways of operating that really need that charitable model, um, you know, for a number of different reasons. Um, and often, you know, the social needs are such that that is genuinely the most helpful way of running that operation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And then in terms of the profit business, I think there are, there are certain aspects of profit business, although 
my my sort of belief system doesn't agree with it, but I know from experience with talking about other entrepreneurs that it just makes a lot more sense doing it uh, not directly as a, as a social enterprise, but as a as a, a, a sort of a proper profit for business. Uh, profit business, profit led business. Sorry, but then what they often talk about is that it's value driven. Mm. So that, you know, in corporate social responsibility is something that's been in the world for a while now. So that there are other ways of having a sense of not just kind of money grabbing. Let's get a fleece them for all they got. Uh, there are ways of having a profit led business uh, that still has a kind of a, a, an ethical component to it. It's just not structured as a social enterprise because there can be also limitations to that. Yeah. How's the journey been? It's been bumpy. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> it's been really sobering. That's every entrepreneur, every entrepreneur will say that it's always bumpy. Well, the thing for me, the mat- so I love working in metaphors. It really works the way my mind works. So uh, for me, it's a bit like surfing. So I love being on the metaphorical water. I get some really great waves and I have a lot of fun. And then every now and again, I just get completely knocked off my board. I have to kind of haul myself back up to the beach and go, that was tough, you know, and just get my breath, apply a lot of first aid, you know, often my ego is very bruised (laughs) and me and myself and I have to kind of really do that kind of self-care. And I have to remind (laughs) myself that, you know, actually I am quite risk-seeking in my mentality. I think partly being Viking and Iceland, Icelandic is part of that, but also I... I like to be at the curiosity kind of end, like, oh, what if we do this and check that? And of course, sometimes, you know, that does mean that, you know, I fall over or things don't work or I've lost money on something or, you know, or something that I thought was brilliant and nobody agrees with me on that. (laughs) So uh, that can be very bruising, but I find that caring for those bruises and and also taking appropriate action to damage limitations and stuff, the next wave comes along, I'm like, oh, let's go for that one. So there is a <laughs> playfulness, there is a joy, there is a power, there's a vitality and energy in it that really suits me. So I take the I take the bad waves or the big waves with the <laughs> with the fun waves. But there's always learning, you know, there's always learning in those in those waves. That, and I think we learn more from those waves that really bruise us. And it kind of centers us again. Can you share a high point and a low point in this journey? And the reason I ask this question, I ask this quite a lot, is because in my experience, the greatest gift that we can give to other entrepreneurs is I felt this too. Yeah. This was hard for me too. Yeah. And you will overcome it. And to say, and I found my way of say, say, this is normal for entrepreneurship. This is okay. You know, we all have been here. And so if you are okay with it, could you share a high and a low point? Because we also want to share the high points. Don't forget. Yeah. So I want to, I want to just, just following on from the point before, which kind of nicely leads into this is, so talking about my word of love of wordsmithery and love of words. So I've created Mm. a word that's ISOP, I-S-O-P. And it's a bringing together of two words, issue opportunity. So it's the kind of opportunity that only comes into being because there is an issue. So often there are opportunities because they're just, oh, let's do this. But sometimes there are opportunities that only come into being because there is an issue. There is a pain point. So uh, I like, I love ISOP. So when there is a pain point, I'm like, okay, what's the opportunity? What's the ISOP I can excavate from this experience? Beautiful. 
So, uh, so I often talk about ice socks. I'm stealing that, but I will. I'm going to use that. that. You know, <laughs> on, if you go on the Instagram for the Helpful Clinic, you will see at the beginning of the of the throughout of the feed, we've got a few dictionary definitions where I'm playing around with words like ice socks and Sherlocking and stuff like that. So that's put that in your pocket. Sherlocking. Tell us about Sherlocking. So Sherlocking is the act of getting curious about something and following the clue. So basically to channeling our inner Sherlock Holmes. So I often <laughs> with, with symptoms, we often go Sherlocking. We go, okay, what are the clues? What are, because feelings, both physical sensations and emotions are always information. If you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling despair, if you're feeling pain, you're feeling fatigue, these are all information. They wouldn't arise mm. if there wasn't something making them arise. So getting mm. curious about, ooh, what are they? What could they mean? And then we do sort of map making. We sort of map those clues. Like you see, like in detective TV programs, we start to do all these, ah, and then we join up the dots. And sometimes there's a red herring and nothing there. And, you know, but actually by doing our Sherlocking, we can really understand what is driving this symptom? And then we can do experiments to address the symptom, ease it, resolve it, or manage it depending on what's possible. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. So, so coming to the high points and low I'll... points. Yes. Um, so yes. I'm currently going through uh, a definitely a dip uh, in terms of I sat off last autumn uh, with um, a pivot to the first day for feelings. So rebranded the website and did... Um, and also in preparation of the first aid for feelings manual that's that's coming out. Mm. And, you know, so I've got a team, you know, added a few people to the team. And actually a number of things just went wrong, partly because I hadn't, there was stuff I didn't know I didn't know, partly because people uh, sort of um, thought they had ex expertise that they didn't. You know, even down to the accountant put in writing that something was the case in terms of the HMRC that turned out not to be the case with the HMRC. So we ended up with a massive bill from the HMRC that, you know, mm. wasn't foreseen. So, so there's a real combination of just one issue after another. And then, uh, and then having to delay the publication of the book. So there's been a lot of, you know, sort of ripple effects and consequences to that, that of course have affected cash flow. But also, I mean, I used to work as a project manager. So I'm like, how could I not foresee this? And my inner critic was definitely working overtime at, you know, the things mm. just taking a lot longer than I had anticipated, even with my, and those project managers here will, will probably chuckle at this, even with my 20% contingency. <laughs> <laughs> Love so I put in 20% contingency on time, on money. I thought I was like, I am the business. I've got this. And it just went to pot. Um, mm. and so, uh, that was really sobering that just, uh, and quite a few of those things were genuinely outside of my control. And like, I had, I had gotten confirmation from the accountant in writing that my understanding of this, mm. his, actually his advice not saying was correct. And then it turned out to be wrong. So even when I had done belts and braces, it hadn't worked, but then there were also things that I genuinely just, you know, misjudged. Like, you know, uh, getting um, a person involved that I worked before. And because we'd known each other really well, we worked really well together before, I didn't scope properly. I didn't vet properly for skill set. Uh, because mm. the, the vibe was great, you know. So yeah. uh, that is, that's genuinely on me. That was my bad uh, and not doing my due diligence. So 
but really good lesson. Like, don't be too hard on yourself, please. <laughs> like, really well, you know normal. What? You know, like me and myself and I, we have a beautiful relationship. <laughs> yeah, good. I, good. I, you know, but and, but also it's about keeping it real. So my inner critic, I really see it as my risk manager. You know, it's not there, you know, like you know, out of malice or to make my life miserable. It's misguided at times, definitely. Mm. It is disproportionate often. <laughs> But more often than not, it has a point. I just need to scale it down to actually what's appropriate. So and get my fear on control. Great insight to scale it down so you can. Yeah, it's applying everything you've just said in the same context. Exactly. So I can then act on it. it. So I I do my scoping better, Mm. you know, for example, Mm. or, you know, that. Mm. uh, So there were a number of learnings that have come out of that. And actually now and then for personal reasons, there's been an illness in my family. I've you know, I had, uh, had some research late, recently for my health, which luckily has come back, you know, uh, sort of, uh, manageable rather than severe. Uh, my grandmother died, you know, even my co-author's dog died, you know, there was just, a, and then we had um, uh, all the flight issues since I was back and forth to Iceland. And actually it was, this is make you laugh, for a time there was also the risk of earthquake and, and volcanic eruption in Iceland was severe one weekend. I was like, that is so far out of my sphere of influence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, come on. Yeah. So it was just like, okay. Aww. And I'm a practicing Buddhist. I've been a Buddhist for nearly 20 years. So one of the fav- my favorite sayings from Thich Nhat Hanh or Thai, who's the spiritual uh, teacher that I, I align with, is don't just do something, sit there. So on that weekend, when it was all happening, there was, you know, my grandmother was dying. There was, all, you know, the whole book, website, HMRC, it was all kicking off. And then the volcanic eruption threat was on the TV screen in Iceland. I heard him in my mind's eye just going, don't do something, just sit there. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm doing. And that was such helpful advice. So we're only just now picking up again the book and some of those things and clearing, you know, tidying up those threads. So actually I'm, I'm now recalculating the timeline in terms of when we'll publish. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. honey. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And you, d- you mentioned you discovered something you're on insight timer now. And yeah. So one of the highlights, uh, talking about highlights and how the entrepreneurial journey doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go. So <laughs> uh, not even three years ago, we set ourselves a four year goal. Mm. Uh, by that point within the clinic context, which was not, so within my working time of first aid, I'd got to about, I think, thousand people at that point that I'd helped support who had gone on the training courses for that. But within the helpful clinic at that point, we were four years in and then we had 340 people we had helped by that point. So I set up the goal of supporting 2,460 people more. And there's lots of maths behind that number (laughs) by December, 2023. Yeah. And that was a really ambitious goal for us. And I've just done the sums before coming on the call today. And now a year and four months before that due date on the goal, we have supported 2,431. We had 29 oh. people short. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So on our goal, thing, yeah, I love it. A year early. Bravo. And I think, and, and I, the thing is that the most of the scaling was going to be in-person workshops, which of course with COVID just did not happen. And but actually the inside timer, which is always going to be like this little side thing, mm-hmm. that's become the primary thing. So it's interesting how sometimes the impact happens and the mission is delivered 
in ways that wasn't kind of the way I mapped it out. So that's been a real highlight and a joy. Uh, and Inside Timer have been brilliant in their support with me because, you know, I was a complete novice in mm. doing it uh, through that platform. So there's been a lot of learning uh, and they've been brilliant. And I love it. And now I have Thursday with Thor is a weekly event, live event, half an hour, where a small group, we meet across time and space, you know, West Coast of the US, uh, Japan, UK, Germany, Beautiful. Canada, and we talk about a particular feeling. And I it's love just, it. I'm so, I, and you know what? We don't know each other, but I'm so proud of you. It's <laughs> <laughs> really crazy to say, but it's just, yeah, that's just wonderful. Exactly. And so those, kind of, those are the kind of things that when I get up in the morning, so I always think we have a choice. You know, mm. most of us, you know, we'll wake up, you know, on the day we don't wake up, you know, well, that's a different story. But, you know, we wake <laughs> up, we then have a choice. Do I get out of bed or not? And then am I getting out of bed because I want to or because I feel I have to? Mm. And I have a rule of three. Because sometimes I get out of bed because I feel I have to. There's just like, there's so much to do. But generally mm. I get out of bed because I want to. Mm. So on the days when I feel like I have to, I check, okay, first day, sure. Second day, amber, okay, what's going on here? By the third day, if I'm getting out of bed because I feel I have to, that's a red. So on the mm. green, amber, red traffic light system. So then me and myself, when I sit down and have a meeting, going like, okay, what's going on? What do I need to retriangulate? What do I need to change either in my perception or in terms of actual things to shift it back to that vitality of I want to? It's a much more conscious life then. It's a beautiful way to leave people. Thank you so much for your time, Thor. Can you share with people how they can find out more about you? Thank you so much, Fanola. It's been a real, it's a real joy for me. So you can find me by, um, going to the website firstdateforfeelings.com. Uh, so the .com matters because there are other, other people also in this space. So firstdateforfeelings.com, going on Inside Timer, searching for my name for a rain. Um, and that's probably the best way, actually. Google will do the rest. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Thor, you can search for them on Insight Timer under Thor, A for Apple, Rain, or visit firstaidforfeelings.com. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else marketing or entrepreneurship related, check out finolahoward.com. And I'll be back next week with another guest. And until then, take care.